Rock Harbor. We are back for another Sunday. Good to see all of you. An hour earlier. An hour. (laughs) Yeah. Lost that. Lost that hour. Depending on what time you go to bed, you feel it. Some some people don't feel it. I felt it. <laughs> I was pushing the pushing the night oil last night. All right, page six in our study guides. Now, last week I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna try to kind of blend this together just a little bit. See, last week it was the calling of discipleship. Uh-huh. This week is the cost of discipleship. Obviously, still on the theme of discipleship. Um, we talked, uh, obviously, defining last week what discipleship was, um, sitting under uh, the teachings of, of the Bible and what the Bible says, following those things, and then just being a teachable person, uh, just being somebody that's willing to be taught. Um, I've been talking about this. Um, I talked with, uh, with Laith about it, talked with some other ones about it, and you have to be you have to be just kind of honest with yourself about like you know what kind of person you are you know your teachability index like where do you stand on a scale of one to ten one being the least teachable ten being the most teachable if you were to really consider yourself and how teachable you are and kind of rate yourself in, in there believe it or not the kind of teachability or teachable person you are is, is definitely going to apply to your spiritual life because if you're not willing to sit under teaching and to learn things, then then you, you can't be taught. Therefore, you're not going to be able to learn. You can learn, and let me take that back. You actually can, but it's usually through the school of hard knocks. Uh, it's through just good old-fashioned, I didn't listen to anybody, should have probably listened to somebody, I blew it, and then you take what we call the long road. You take the long way around figuring that out. Anybody ever do that before? Yeah, take the long way around. Nothing wrong with that. That's okay, because sometimes we're victims of our own ignorance. And that's that's okay. Just so long as you can recognize that you were ignorant, and then you can turn it around, you can learn something from it. Learning is always the thing. So so we talked about discipleship, we talked about having the teachability, being teachable, and then today we're getting into the cost of discipleship. What does it actually cost? And as like anything spiritually, all now, this is the way I look at it. Now, you may look at and view at it a little bit different. It's the way I look at it. We go back to the one that actually set the tone for what we do as Christians. So, what? who was that? Well, that was Jesus. What did it cost him? Everything. Pretty much, if the person at the top, if it cost them everything... If you're going to follow that person, they will also demand, or at least it should be in the writing somewhere, that you have to give everything also. It only makes sense. It only makes sense that Jesus gave everything, so then in turn we would also be asked to give everything. It just makes sense. And so when you start looking at the cost of what does it actually cost, the cost of discipleship, and it's one of those things too that... We kind of talk about that a lot. We kind of, that's kind of a, it can even be stereotyped at times. It cost me everything. We got to, we got to, we got to give everything. Well, maybe we should talk about that this morning in a little bit more in depth and actually what that costs. Like, 
something tangible. Like, what are you actually being called to give up? Or maybe some of you also can, you know, you know of your past and you know of the things that you did give up in order to follow Jesus. So, I mean, there's, and, and not only that, but it's not just the cost of what it did back then, but the cost is the cost that keeps, it keeps going. So we keep giving, right? Every time we find a piece of ourselves that we're, we're not really enthusiastic about, is it? Please tell me I'm not the only person in here that is n- not enthusiastic about certain parts of who they are. I'm just not. I'm not. I'm not. I don't like my gearing. <laughs> I don't. I don't like the design. Uh, uh, as far as um, the way that I've crafted myself over the years, my personal design. Not real fond of it. Haven't done a real good job on it at all. Uh, it's caused me to fall flat on my face numerous times. And you can bet that your idea and the way that you design yourself is in stark contradiction to what God desires for you to be. And therein lies the, the journey, you know, that we do every single day. So we've got this, so back to the cost. It's going to cost us something to learn. It's going to cost us something to follow. It's going to cost us something to get to where we want to go. And you really, I mean, think of heaven. Think of it. Think of heaven and think about what was spoken to us in God's word. He said, you know, it, the, the path that to follow him is straight and it's narrow. But the path to destruction is broad. It's really easy to get to. It's really easy to do. But the path uh, for him is straight and narrow. Well, then you've got, you start thinking about the reward factor. I mean, heaven is the ultimate reward, isn't it? That gets you really thinking about that. And I'm not trying to dissect it too much, but it's just the way my brain works. I'm thinking heaven is as great as a place as this is. Awesome. Huge family reunion, right? Meeting fam- family members that you never even knew that you had. Seeing God on the throne. Being able to meet Jesus. Having a body that doesn't decay. Why wouldn't it cost you everything? Why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't it be a bit difficult to walk the straight and the narrow? Because that's ultimately, that's the, the reward. So when you start looking at it, like weighing it, you know, okay, what's it going to take to get there? Well, first of all, let me make sure we're clear. He did everything. Amen. He did it all. As far as the, the you could call it the, the grunt work, the, the, the job that actually brought us back to the Father, he did that. But then he said, all right, this is what we're going to do. Children, it's going to take a little bit of, we're going to take a little bit of work. It's going to take some discipleship. You're going to have to learn some things. You're going to have to realize some things. You have, have some realizations about uh, how you're, you're incomplete and I'm complete. And that you need me in order to get to this place. This is a journey unlike anything that we've ever taken before. Amen. Anything that we've ever done. But I go back to this. Why wouldn't it cost something heavy? Amen. Why wouldn't it? Considering where you're going, and I believe it's more than anything that we can ever imagine, that the Bible specifically says that, that, that eye has not seen, ear has not heard the things that have been prepared for those that love him. Amen. That's even, we, we've even got people that have come back and given reports. Remember, you're only still seeing in part, though. You hear what these people are saying, you're like, that sounds amazing. But the Bible says, eye has not seen and ear has not heard. That means you ain't seeing it all. You ain't seeing the big picture. But just judging by what I can, what I have 
uh, ascertained from the stories, that's good enough to make me want to go. But the reward is much bigger than we could ever imagine. Amen. But the cost is also steep. The cost is also steep. I say that because I think we need to know that. I think we need to know what it's going to cost us to actually finish the race. Okay. Let it go. Yeah, let it go. Uh, central truth is that Christian life requires total devotion to Christ. Under Let's Get Started is how much would you be willing to sacrifice for your faith in Christ? Your career, your home, your life. Serving Jesus comes with greater rewards than you can imagine, but there is a cost. No one, uh, no, you can never buy your salvation and you cannot earn it through works. Jesus already paid the full price for your salvation. We just said that. But walking with him involves commitment on your part. However, nothing you sacrifice to follow him has the everlasting value that life in him brings. And this is true because it depends on, really, when you start thinking about discipleship, you know, in what direction you're going to go, like the commitment, like what direction am I going to go? It depends on what you value. What do you value? And you got to answer that question. What do I value? When you say, okay, well, it's, we're in church, so I'm going to say Christ. I value Christ. Okay, fair enough. But there will be actions that support that. You should look like somebody who's following Christ. Or, in other words, you should look like somebody who values that. If you say, oh, I value that, okay, then there should be things that follow that. Um, there should be fruit on your tree. Let's put it that way. You should be able to bear fruit. Um, to, say, to say that we're going to follow Christ or that he's, he's very valuable to us, he's number one then you're going to have certain actions that support that being number one. Okay, let's look at it this way. You say, um, if you say this morning your job is number one, you will do certain things that will show everybody that your job is number one, and most of the time people will notice it. You would say, well, what, what does that mean? Time? Does it mean they really enjoy their job? You hear them talk about it all the time. That's all they do. That's kind of what they're about. They're just about the job. And people will notice it. They can see that it's something that's important to you. And so living for Christ and saying that he's the most valuable thing in our life should also be supported by certain actions. These are things that I've, I've really been thinking about, and I, I believe the Holy Spirit has called this into my own personal life. It's like, listen, I mean, you, you talk, I hear what you're saying, but your actions have got to follow that. Enthusiastically? I mean, if something is important to you of the highest value, are you not enthusiastically into it? Okay, right? So there should be this enthusiasm on our part also. But I've, I've actually questioned that part of it. I was like, why is it that, why is it that Jesus, I say Jesus is the number one thing in my life, but I have a hard time being enthusiastic about that. Why is it that the only path to heaven the only path to the Father, which is Him, the only path that at times I have the hardest time being enthusiastic about. Think about that. Answer that question. Because I don't think I'm the only person. I don't think I'm the only person that has a hard time separating themselves from the things of this world and getting attached to the our only, the only way to heaven. Because when you start really thinking about it, it actually gets kind of disturbing. Like, then I'm ashamed of myself and frustrated. And I'm like, where am I at? You know? Where am I at? 
I'm supposed to be on point, being an example, being happy and excited about what God is doing, yet I have a difficult time locking in, staying locked in, praying the way that we know that we need to with effectual fervent prayers, right? Holiness, being holy. We haven't forgot about that, right? Pastor was just talking about that um, Wednesday night and, and the importance of holiness and the importance of being holy. Church, there's so much wrapped up in discipleship and then saying that something is valuable and then actually seeing if our actions support that thing that we're going to say that, that's valuable to us. I, I believe, personally, I believe that that's going to be one of the things that's going to be talked about or at least brought up when we stand before him. Now, I understand that we're going to be standing before him in two different sectors. Obviously, the, the sinner who's, who's not accepted him as Savior, and then the ones who have accepted him as Savior will be judged for their works. I, I get that. But what I'm saying is I'm going to have to stand in front of him regardless and give account regardless. You with me? So I'm going to have to give account for my works. Okay, let's just let's look at that for a minute. Seems to me that that's going to come up. You said I was the most important thing in your life. Now, let, let's look over your life for the time that you've been saved, and let's see if I was the most important thing, and let's see what you did with it. I'm going to tell you something. If that, don't, if that don't shake you just a bit, and I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to create a false scenario either. I'm just simply saying, I think in terms of, of what we're going to be held accountable for, I can't see how this can't get brought up. How did you value me? You said you valued me like the, the highest of the highest. What did you actually do with that value? Did you actually act on it? Or did you just sit in a church and listen and leave and never really apply anything that was learned? That, from a personal standpoint, that concerns me. <laughs> For myself, I'm talking about me. I'm thinking, whoo, how, how do we do this? So it's in the value. The good news of the gospel, the offer of forgiveness for sin and total transformation of one's life comes with an inseparable call to self-sacrifice. Absolutely. On the face of it, this may not sound like good news at all. <laughs> right, it doesn't. What a tragedy it is when people bypass everlasting life in Christ made possible through his death and resurrection in order to hold on to something that will only fade away. Okay, give me some examples of some things that will fade away that people are predominantly... Um, attracted to and have a tendency to hold on to. Okay, money, absolutely. Economies crash, right? Notoriously, they do. Historically, they 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 crash. So they so money comes and goes. That can't last forever. What else? Friendships. Friendships, okay. Fame and fortune. Fame, fortune. Sean. Time. Ah, that's a good one. Time. Can't get that back. And then you're going also, you know, ultimately you're going to a place that didn't even have time. So I think that's interesting. Jim? Well, you might, you might really have a <clears throat> job, you know. Mm -hmm. That don't mean that job's going to be there forever. That's right. You know, yep. all your life. Yep. You might like it and you might say, well, I don't want to do anything else. But now I've done quite a few things in my life. Mm -hmm. But some of them I didn't like. Right. <laughs> There was a couple of jobs I had at Ardmore that I was treated better than I ever was in other jobs. Mm -hmm. And uh, treated like a person instead of like a, just a slave. Mm -hmm. Just come in and work and go home. Yeah. 
and it's something that I wasn't used to. Mm-hmm. And it was really great. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're gone. I mean, them jobs are gone. Sure. They're not there now. They they left before I left the job. Right. <laughs> and uh, and uh, when it sold out, it went the other way. Right. It wasn't the same. So you could say, like Jim's saying, you know, time comes and goes, and everything's going to fade. So you start really, some of you, every one of you had some really good answers. So you think about the things that we have a tendency to hold on to here. And, and you've, we've talked about this in this class before. The, the thing there, if you have a big, if you can really open up your mind and think along the, a big picture, and some of you understand this better than I do now, as you walk this life and as you get older, you start to see really the brevity of it, and you really start to see the fragileness of it. That life comes and goes like that. I mean, it's just, the fact that we're still here is just an absolute blessing. Uh-huh. Amen. The fact that we're still above ground, allowed the opportunity to serve and to seek his face. There's, there's some stuff that I've been able to get out of my life recently, just as far as from a spiritual standpoint in my heart. I'm so thankful that I, got the, I was able to have the opportunity to get that stuff out, and I didn't have it after I passed. I didn't have, that, I didn't have it on my heart, and then I had to give account for it. Thank God. Every day that we have is a blessing, but we've only got so many of them. And so I started really considering the longevity of life. How long do you live? I think, well, you live, you live, uh, you know, 85, 90, 95, whatever. You live these amount of years, you know, if everything goes right the way it's supposed to. And then I started looking at it. When you're in your 20s, nobody in their 20s is thinking about being 80. Come on, right man. Nobody. But I've noticed, much like you probably have, the closer you get to that mark, the more you think about it. The more that comes up, the more you realize, hey, this thing's starting to close in. Hey, life really doesn't last that long, does it? Hey, this thing really does pass fast. Amen. And, it, and, it, and it, it goes by, and it's here one minute, and it's gone the next. And you're like, wow, how did all that time pass so quick? So in the span of, of time, you and I don't got a lot of time. There's not a lot for us to, to work with. Not, not a lot at all. Um, thinking about holding on to something here in the short amount of time that I'm here that would cause me to lose out on eternity. Let's weigh them. Let's weigh them um, this morning. 90 years here on this earth and eternity, which means what? What's, what's eternity? What's that mean to you? Forever? A place Without time. A place without time. Without an, end. without an end. There's nothing here in the short span of 90 years that you're going to be here that's worth holding on to that's more important than that eternity. There's nothing more important than that. It's got to be like the main focus. Because I'm thinking, I do not want this, this road to be the final road for me and then end up in a place that I'm eternally separated from him. Uh, lately, I've been thinking about that, too, because, you know, the older you get, the more the days go by quicker and quicker and quicker. Sure. And um, it seems like after high school, everything just flies by anyway. Right. <laughs> that it does. Yeah, but I've been really thinking about that, too. Like, I'm, I'm 40 years old, and then 40, 40 years, if you look back, <clears throat> you know. Absolutely. And, 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 and some of you other ones that have been here longer than, than we have can say, oh, yeah, you just wait. You wait till you hit that 60 mark. You wait till you hit that, you know, those those marks that some of you have, have accomplished. 
and you can look back. You remember when you was in your 40s and you say, oh, yeah, this is going to change and this is going to change. I've learned to listen. I listen. You get up one morning, your bed's left there. <laughs> and, 40, and, the same life from 40 up, up. You just you just went to bed and woke up. Right. There's, a lot, of, up there's up. a lot of wisdom in listening to the ones who have who have spent more time here and understand the direction of things and listening to what they're saying. Because, I mean, you turn, from what I can tell, because I know I've turned, started to turn loose of some things. As you begin to progress, the farther, the closer you get to that mark, you start letting go. Hey, that doesn't matter. Hey, that, that really don't matter. Hey, we're getting closer. Hey, the, it's, get, it's coming time because we all realize that we're just human. We can only last for so long. So, so many other, go ahead, Steve. Well, it, it's, it's like that new truck or car you got, you know, you drive it and that odometer just keeps on ticking. Right. It's, it's just like that and you're, you know, after mm -hmm. 20 years, you're an old classic. <laughs> I still have a little shine on it. Yep. 30, 40 years, probably need a paint job. Vintage then though, you know, vintage. Yeah, yeah. Yep. You know, just get, just, you know, being being a, a man and growing up without a real father, father figure, mm -hmm. you, uh, sometimes you, what you do to uh, get by mm -hmm. and tow the rope. Sure. I swore my kids would never have to <coughs> worry about clothes, food, shelter, and growing up, I didn't always have that. Sure. But now, like you just said earlier, you have to change a little bit. Yeah. Things are a little different. Yeah. Absolutely. My focus has to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It it sounds uh, selfish. Mm, I know but what you're saying. As a dad, you're, where do you change from the focus of making sure you're taking care of them to you being right? Yeah, absolutely. And showing them what's right. Yep, that's a good that's a good point. It really is. You are, you know wish you were speaking to a lot of parents because that's a that's a great point yeah. let me let me finish this out here and we'll keep going very good good comments an invitation to die to oneself does not sound like a great offer but nothing you already have compares to what a life of service to God offers or to the eternal suffering of a life lived apart from him absolutely and obviously the lesson is talking about heaven and hell so we understand that right I mean we understand that our belief system and we'll make sure that we all agree on this our belief system is that there is a heaven and then there is a hell. There's a place that is eternally uh, away from God, and there's a, a place that you are eternally with God. Um, the, and it's interesting, too, I mean, if you think about it, because for a long time there's a lot of beliefs out there. There's some, there's some hmm, supposed faiths out there that say there's, you know, purgatory. There's a place of purgatory. There's a place where you're, kind of in, the, you're in the halfway house, so to speak. Well, there's not actually any uh, uh, biblical evidence of, of a place called purgatory, but there is biblical evidence of heaven and hell. And so while um, we are living this life, those are some things that you have to consider. 
uh, when you start thinking about how to how to get motivated, <laughs> how to be motivated, how to stay motivated in this life, and how to stay connected with God. There is so much at stake here. So much at stake, <clears throat> and you know, I, I do. I kind of. There are times that I wished it was. It, I wished it was kind of like a. Well, you you did good. You didn't do real good, but you didn't do real bad either. So you're going to get to go to this place that's kind of okay. It's kind of like the life you're living right now. That's what people actually view this being like. They're like, yeah, I'm going to go. Yeah, I haven't been real bad. But I haven't been real good. You know, I'll probably be, I've heard some say, I'll be in the lower part of heaven. That's heaven or hell. That's it. Either you get it and make it or you do not. Come on, sheep or goat. Yeah, sheep or goat. So think about that for just a minute. Think about the ramifications of being wrong. Think about it. If I'm wrong about my opinion, about how I'm supposed to live this life, the cost is great. And that's what we're talking about this morning, the cost of discipleship. The cost is great. But if I, if I, if I do give, is what this lesson is going to be talking about, if I do give everything, and I do realize the cost, and I'm okay with it, and I'm willing to pay it here, then you get the ultimate reward, which is eternal life, which is a new body, which is being with him forever, which means ultimate unending peace, which nobody in here can actually uh, testify to. Because even though we were saved, and even though I've got a peace in here, I constantly am subjected to a lack of peace out here. Anybody with me? Constantly. Constantly. Get away from me. You know? Get away from me. So, but in heaven, though, it's, it's, think about this. Not only will you have the internal peace, but you'll also have the external peace that will support it. And there'll be nothing to mess up your peace. <laughs> think about how happy you've been at different times. Think about, think about some of the hurts that you have endured in your life. Think about that. Think about some of that stuff. And even though some people will say, you know, that you know, you talk about getting over things and getting past things, some of you know that there's just certain things you just don't get past. And you carry those things with you throughout your life. In heaven, those things are resolved. There is no hurt in heaven. Because you're with the one who is perfect. And you are fixed. Whatever is going on in here is fixed. There is no depression. There's no time of, well, you know, I'm just a little down today. Let me sit in my mansion and think about it for a little while. No. There is no there's no there's no uh despair. Get this, there are no shadows. Amen. Because there's no place that the light does not encompass. So there's no darkness. I mean, can you really grasp it in your mind how good this place is? I want to go there, right? But there's a cost. All right, let's read some scriptures. I know, I know, I took a little bit of the long road to get there, but I'm I'm kind of leveraging on the fact that I'm not going to finish some of this tonight too. So, <laughs> let's go to our scriptures. Haley, if you would read those, please. Yes, Luke nine fifty seven. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, "I will follow you wherever you go." But Jesus replied, "Foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head." He said to another person, Come, follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. 
that Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Matthew 10, 34. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. Now, if you notice verse 26 there, what said, it says, well, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Which is the, the that scripture, we, we know that scripture and we're, we admire that scripture. You've heard that scripture mentioned many times and you've probably used it for yourself as a bit of motivation. But think about what it says in that same scripture right after that. Is anything worth more than your soul? Come on. Ask a question. That's powerful. It's saying weigh the value of the soul. He, now, and you've got to read between the lines. What kind of emphasis is being put on the soul? Of the highest value. Otherwise, he wouldn't ask a question. You know, you gotta, you got to kind of get that. You know, otherwise, the question wouldn't have never been asked. It's like, is there anything more valuable than your soul? It's like, uh, I think he's hinting at something. <laughs> you know, uh, the, yeah. No, it's not. There's nothing more uh, valuable than that. Oh, yeah, and I want to show you something else. Look at Matthew 10, 34 there. I actually read this. I come across this twice in like the last two weeks. And I really I felt like the Lord was showing me something here. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. <laughs> I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Wow, that's powerful. And that's kind of, I mean, if, it's like taking Jesus and, you know, you have to get him out of that box. It's like, well, Jesus is, he brings, he brought, he brings peace from a spiritual perspective. And when he's talking here, he's like, I didn't come to calm the armies down and to, and to shut all this stuff down. Now, that's not what I'm here for. <coughs> he actually said, he said, I came with a sword. Ouch. That's a little bit different. I didn't think he was coming for that reason. <laughs> he said, yeah, yeah, I'm coming with a sword. That's a totally different perspective, right? So, he means business. All right, let's get into some, script, uh, some, some text. Section 1, be wholly devoted to Christ. The person in Luke's narrative correctly identified the best possible path in life to follow Jesus without wavering. Jesus' answer may offer a clue to what we, uh, what may have brought the would-be disciple to such a declaration. Jesus alluded to the material comforts of life, including shelter enjoyed by foxes and birds. These illustrations could serve as a contrast to grandiose expectations of the person offering to follow him. All right, so expectations so what what are some expectations that you hear some people have when following christ what are some expectations that you've heard of that are actually incorrect so people that have had some expectations about when following god i should get an easier life oh okay right here that's a good one 
Now let me ask this. Okay. God's just going to rain down riches. Prosperity? All kinds of okay. stuff. And it's like, that's not what that's about. Okay, I'm going to go back. I'm going to take both of those. Let's take no more answers because those two are fantastic. Let's go with Stoney's. An easier life. How many of you thought that you might have an easier life? I did. Easier life. I'm going to get, I found Christ. He's going to make it easier. He's going to work out my problems for me. He's going to get all this mess worked out. How many of you found it to be a bit harder? <laughs> and it was harder, and it's harder in ways that you can't even explain because there's, it's, there's so many things that are going on. And is Christ simple? Yes. Is faith in him simple? Absolutely. It's simple. If anybody complicates it, it's us. We're the ones that mess this thing up. Amen. But the idea that life is easier with Christ is incorrect. The fact that you are free is correct. It's correct. It didn't, doesn't mean that life's easier. You still deal with family problems. How many of you still got some family problems you're trying to iron out? How many, how many of you praying about that and wondering when God's going to answer that prayer? <laughs> because Hello, we're, God. Yeah, we're real people, right? Flesh and blood. You still, you still have feelings. You still have emotions. God doesn't come in and just take your emotions and say, well, you serve me now. Now I'm going to change the way that on, you feel amen. about this situation. He doesn't manipulate you. Yeah, change your heart, which in turn, too, is an indication of how effective your prayers are. And let me say this. Your prayers cannot be used to manipulate people either. Doesn't work that way. So if God gives you free choice, why would he give you the authority to manipulate somebody else, even if it was for their good? It won't. You don't have that. They don't have that ability. So um, consider... um, Consider the value uh, that we have in serving him and that um, <laughs> the expectations, the expectations have to be correct expectations. I don't have a lot of time to sit on that. I would love to talk more about that maybe uh, later. Jesus had just been rejected by a Samaritan village. Perhaps this person was drawing a contrast with those who had turned Jesus and his disciples away. Jesus' answer redirected attention from the material to the spiritual. Following Jesus would offer no guarantee of physical shelter, yet it offered immeasurable spiritual benefits. Now, what did he say there in that scripture? He says that if following Jesus would offer no guarantee of physical shelter. And he said that here in 58, look back at your scripture, he said, but Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now, you think that's kind of an odd answer though, right? What was the question that he was asked. He said, actually, it wasn't a question. It was a statement. I will follow you wherever you go. And he said, oh, yeah, before you do that, let me mention, I don't actually have a home to live. <laughs> In my travels is what he, basically what he's saying. I actually don't have a place to stay. Now tell me how you, you, pumped you are about following me now. So you think, was that incorrect? No, that was actually a perfect thing to say. I mean, haven't you had somebody's want to get involved in something that you were doing because they thought it might have been easy. And you said, hey, 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 hold on a second. Before you get involved, I want to tell you this is not as easy as it looks. Come on. That's exactly what Jesus was saying right here. He was saying, hold on just a second. Before you get excited about following me, let me tell you what it's going to cost. And he said, I don't actually have a place to live. You okay with that? 
And I understand that here we all have homes and pretty sure everybody in here has a home. You got a place that you stay. Um, we probably in our culture take that a bit for granted, uh, how good it is and how nice it is. And it is, we have a nice life. We really do. Um, if you want to look at that from that perspective, just look at any other Christian culture outside of the United States and you will be enormously surprised at the life. Well, think about this. Let's use this as an example this morning. Think about the people that are Christian, Christian people, because they actually have been going through a bit of revival in Ukraine, not because of the war. It was before then. You've got a lot of Christian people, a lot of Christian evangelists that are over there, and these people are fighting for their lives. If you've seen some of the footage, it's going everywhere. Now, these people are Christian people, so if you say God's uh, the blesser of, of prosperity and, and peace, and you don't have to deal with any problems whatsoever, what about the people in Ukraine? What about the Christians in Ukraine? Do they not qualify for peace? Sure they do. Unfortunately, they were born in a land and a culture that uh, has, is surrounded by people who are a bit barbaric. And so if you've, been, if you've been privileged, and I believe the chances were, I think the chances of you being born in the United States, um, considering world population, the chances of you actually being born an American in the United States was less than 10%. Think about that. Less than 10%. If I told you that you had a 9% chance of survival when you walk out that door, how good would you feel about your chances? Well, how, how much is it? Three? Is it 3%? Okay, it's 3%. Stand corrected. So 3%, if I told you you had a 3% chance of survival, how good would you feel about your chances? But yet here we are for you sitting here and enjoying this right here. We are enormously privileged to be Christians in the United States of America, to be a Westerner, to be a Western Christianity society and Western Christianity culture. It couldn't be anything uh, greater for you to be born into. You, you could say you were born into privilege. <laughs> you could say you were born rich. You could. You could. You could say you were born that way because of your culture. So when we start looking at um, this call to follow Christ and what it actually costs, we have to consider our culture also. Can we let go of our culture and follow him? Can we? Can we let go of that? Can, you, can we actually let go? And I was thinking about this the other day. I was talking with some different people about it in our culture. We, uh, we enjoy, if you live and you manage your money, if you manage your money long enough and you live long enough, you get to enjoy what we call retirement. Do you know that we're one of the only cultures that actually do that? Why? Because no one else can support it economically. Can't be done. Can you enjoy your cult? Could you, could you be okay with saying that, you know, um, follow me? but you don't get a retirement. Follow me, but you're not gonna have a great income. Follow me, but you're not gonna have, you're not gonna live in a real great place. You're not gonna have a lot of good things, you know, follow me. 
It's different when you say that here. It's different. And so we have to make sure that our culture doesn't dictate whether we actually follow him or not. That we follow him despite culture. And I guess in short, I guess I could have summed it up like this. If everything wasn't as good as it is right now, would you still be okay with that? Would you be okay with following him even though things are not as good as they are right now? Would we, would we still cling to him? Maybe we cling to him more. Maybe somebody, maybe people retreat altogether. Maybe it's not what they thought. This is the warning that he was giving here. This is the warning. He said, hey, you want to follow me? I don't have a place to stay. Are you okay with that? Now, he didn't say that, but that's what he was implying. He didn't get an answer, by the way, and we'll get to that here in a minute. The person's response is not recorded. That's right, and it's not recorded. I'm glad it wasn't recorded for your benefit. We didn't need to know what he said because it needs to be considered for our own lives. Perhaps Jesus' answer did not, uh, did not discourage but reshape that anonymous voice. These verses call us to examine our hearts and discern whether we have Jesus' values in view when we promise our devotion and service to him. Jesus' responses to the next two unnamed people would establish a truth in that moment rather than illustrate a general rule for family relationships. But the beginning, or from the beginning, God's word proclaims the value of family. I don't think we all agree with that, right? God is all in for family. Absolutely. He's the one who established the family. That's ultimately why we have such a problem in our country today is because we've turned loose of the family. Uh-huh. Come on. The family values are not important anymore. And because of the reshaping of family, and because it doesn't look the same anymore, because it's not a male and female, mother and father, it is all these other definitions. That's why we are suffering. The Bible places great importance on grieving the dead together and on bidding family farewell. So he's also saying God is also okay with funeral. But Jesus' lordship must always overrule standard, even important life practices. And what the lesson is saying there, when it says life practices, is speaking about your culture. It's talking about the things that you hold normal in your, in your everyday goings. Can you let go of those things and serve him? Can we let go of the things that our culture and our society hold at such a high standard? Can we let those go and say, I'm just going to follow you. I'm just going to follow you. You take me wherever you want me to go. <clears throat> it's okay. It's okay. I say this because I say this to my kids. I've got a daughter that's about to graduate. Um, it's okay to have plans for your future, young people. It's great. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with making plans. And I think that's common sense, logical. You get an aim and you go in that direction. But even with that aim and direction, it should not trump the leadership and the guidance of Christ. And if the Holy Spirit leads in a direction, are we okay with following him down a path that we did not plan? We're, we're um, in our culture, because we're so busy... And because everything is so fast moving, we have a, a, um, a habit of planning everything because we're more effective and more efficient that way. But I don't know if you know this or not, but in all of our planning, God has a tendency to get forgotten in all of the planning. I get why we do it. I do it. But at times, God doesn't have the ability to lead us the way we need to be led because we have got a plan and we're going to follow that plan. You ever heard somebody with a life plan? You ever heard that? 
We're going to have a life plan. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a scary thing. It's like I have a life plan, meaning you have a direction, you have a focus, and you're not going to deviate from that. And that, that life plan that you have chosen, that's going to make you successful. That's not leaving a very large margin for anything else, let alone a God that comes in and says, hey, I got a different plan. So are we okay with that? Are we okay with letting go of our planning and, and uh, allowing uh, life practices to kind of be put to the side? One who would obey the Savior fully must be prepared to do so at the cost of other decisions. Absolutely. The final decisions of these two people are unrecorded. So we've got a total of, I think, three people in, in this, and none of their answers were recorded for obvious reasons. You didn't need to know their answers. You need to answer the question yourself. That's why it was put that way. It kind of leaves you thinking. I love, I love what Jesus does here because he does this often. He, the way he answers is to make you think. It's like, you know what? I shouldn't probably pass that so quickly. I should think about that for a little while. I should think about my plans and, and do they include God? Or have I taken total control of my own life and, I, and God is not really actually in it? Um, we, we are in a society now, um, we've actually seen quite a bit of change in this, this degree. People are okay with having a version of God in their life, but not the God that actually needs to be served. They're okay with having a version of God, a God that blesses, a God that gets them through hard times, a God that prospers, a God that will save, uh -huh. keep them from hell. Uh -huh. A God will do all these things. But that God in this new version, this new culture, doesn't necessarily need to be served. And he better not ask me to serve him any more than I already have. That's the version that I'm seeing today. And it's a very selfish version. It's a version that does not actually submit to God. It's a version that demands God. You're going to do this for me. If you're of, if you're of any worth at all, God, you're going to do this for me. You're going to give me this, and if, and if it doesn't work out, then I tried Christianity, and it just didn't work out. That's not really, that doesn't really make sense, though. Weighing the fact of the cost of heaven, where we were talking about going, right? The cost of discipleship. What's it going to take to actually get there? It's going to take a little bit. Uh -huh. It's going to take a little bit. Well, you know, if you're a Christian and you, you pray... Don't don't be a Christian that prays thinks that God's gonna answer every prayer. Right. Because he's gonna he's gonna answer good. them for your good. He's gonna answer them for your well being for everything that you do. Right. And uh, there's gonna be some that he's not gonna answer at all. Right. <laughs> right. So you might as well face it. Yeah. Just because you pray don't mean God uh he, he don't owe you nothing. Right. Uh, that's a good that's a good point. Good point. Okay, let me finish this up. I'm going to try to get here down the bottom. We're almost out of time. Um, a family funeral and a requested farewell may have been set aside for a wonderful life of service to Jesus. But there is possibly an alternate conclusion. A family funeral might have meant delaying a walk with Christ. Insisting on bidding loved ones goodbye may have resulted in family pressure to abandon the mission to which Christ had called them. Uh, just make sure that when you read these scriptures that you understand that this is not an apples for apples thing. It's not, you know, oh, I got to give up going to funerals and, and uh, I got to give up an actual place to live. That's not the point. 
The point is, is can you actually put it down? Can you actually, within your heart, lay everything down and say, I'm going to follow you? It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. Um, I'm not going to get to do what I wanted to do, but I'm going to be okay with that. That's, that's the question that's posed. And let me make sure that we're all in agreement here also. Just because you come to church and you sit in church don't mean that you're submitting to God. Come on, amen. It, it doesn't. I mean, it's great. I, you know, it's great to be in church. It's great to be here. But that just coming to church is not a permission slip of uh, being able to say that everything is okay in your life. I've seen people get saved at funerals. Yes, it's a good point. Last paragraph. The larger point is that many choices that are not sinful, catch this, the larger point is that many choices that are not sinful in themselves may deter us from following the leading of Jesus. What does that mean? Oh, man, that's so good. It's meaning that just because, I guess it's this idea that we get that it's not sin, so it's okay to do. So it's not sin. It's not, the Bible didn't say anything bad about it, so it's not bad, right? I don't know. If it takes your time away from God, you tell me. If it actually distracts you and pulls you away from him and you lose your relationship with God, even though you didn't do something sinful, I don't know, you tell me. How's that working for you? If anything comes before him, it's going to be something that you're going to have to, to pay attention to. It's something that's going to have to be rearranged. So consider that. All right. <clears throat> How easy it is to pursue a lucrative career over a call to ministry that pays little or to dedicate time and energy. And I think that's the, the most important one. Dedicate time and energy to an otherwise healthy activity at the expense of following Christ. When we delay or reject God's voice, we compromise our spiritual health and forego future blessings. Time and energy. So I'm going to end with that because we're out of time. So here's the question. I want you to think about this. Um, where's your time and energy going? Where's it go to? In all the planning that we do in this life, in putting things in their proper spot, we want to make sure that we make enough money. We want to make sure that everything is right. We make sure our kids are raised correctly. But is it possible that we could be forgetting the most important part of the whole thing? And all our time and energy is spent on something other than the very one that's going to get you to heaven. Uh, come on. Think about that. Thank you, guys.